Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. You can listen to this show and many other KPCG shows anytime, live or on demand at kpcg.fm. God has a lot of marvelous ways of revealing his truth. He has always opened the minds of his servants throughout the millennia. And this is the reason why God's work today teaches so many unique beliefs. There is a clear difference between beliefs that are revealed and inspired by God himself and beliefs that come straight out of the minds of human beings alone. Today, it is pretty common for a false dichotomy to be erected where you have science on one side and the Bible on the other. But are science and the Bible really at odds? Is that really what the fruits show? And even if the two were at odds, <laughs> the way that science operates today obviously isn't very trustworthy. We've seen that exposed pretty horrifically in the recent coronavirus shutdowns worldwide. Scientists saying one thing one week, then saying the exact opposite the next week. And meanwhile, the media covers for them every step of the way. The fields of medicine make it seem like the only way to get through this is by bunkering down in our homes until we finally produce a vaccine. But really, all of these approaches are completely faithless, and they do not produce the desired results. Now, I don't usually do this, but we do have a quick about one-and-a-half-minute parody video. This is just kind of making fun of the modern media and the fields of science and medicine. Uh, it's pretty funny, and... Uh, this is from a comedian named Ryan Long. It's not like I necessarily endorse everything he said, but this is a pretty funny clip, so we'll play that now. Some of you might be wondering why last month I was writing articles about how leaving your house is basically bludgeoning the elderly, and this month I'm writing articles about the importance of large social gatherings. And after a ton of research, scientists have discovered that the X factor in determining whether a gathering is dangerous is whether or not I, Mark Diamond, personally support it. There's something about the dynamics of the coronavirus mixed with my personal political beliefs that made it important to snitch on your friends for gathering last week and important to snitch on them for not supporting gatherings this week. Science is crazy. For example, science determined that white people gathering in the park last week were basically Ben Stiller from Happy Gilmore and now they have a social duty to make large gatherings a cardinal part of their identity. They've been able to A-B test this with causes I don't support, like religious gatherings, family events, and the science shows that coronavirus is still rampant at these gatherings. Something about the molecules in my opinions that made groups of five bad, but groups of 10,000 good, running a store bad, but looting a store good. I'm not a scientist, but health officials everywhere have been experiencing the exact same phenomenon. 
Hey, I'm as surprised as you are that my opinions made Corona live on surfaces last month and immune to them this month. It also appears that my opinions have the ability to change someone like Kanye West's anatomy to make them fundamentally good or bad. Scientists have also found that Donald Trump plays a big role in this and that I choose my opinions in opposition to his, which then allows Corona to use that information when deciding which gatherings that it plans to infect. You know, it's a very complicated issue, and all you can do at home right now is follow me and other bloggers on Twitter as our opinions constantly change so you can figure out which causes make you a murderer and which ones make you a hero. <laughs> so that was comedian Ryan Long with a pretty quick and to-the-point parody there about modern media, modern science and medicine, and really how it does completely lack any any sort of trustworthiness there. So science today is clearly falling short in helping us achieve the radiant health we all desire. But what if I told you that God outlines health laws in the Bible that are then only verified by science thousands of years later? After plenty of trial and error, plenty of human mistakes. What would happen if we just looked to the Bible in the first place? And why is it so important that God's work places high importance on teaching about health? Well, 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. This is God's desire for us, to prosper and be in health. And if God really does want human beings to be healthy, wouldn't it only make sense that he would instruct us how? Wouldn't he tell us what to do in his instruction manual, the Holy Bible? Well, yes, he would, and I have plenty of examples of that for you today. If you haven't been to the website watchjerusalem.co.il, I would highly recommend it because it does have a whole lot of interesting articles and a lot of great information about archaeology, but also science in this case, and plenty of other fascinating subjects. This is an affiliate website of thetrumpet.com and pcg.church, one of many resources made available to you for free by God's work. That's watchjerusalem.co.il. This is an article from that website titled The Bible Scoops the Scientists from November 7th, 2017. Just look at the way that God revealed health laws in the Bible thousands and thousands of years before science discovered them. Here's one example. Quarantine and sanitation. It says here throughout history, even advanced cultures understood nothing about bacteria. The Black Death of the 1300s killed 50 million in Europe alone, over half the population. During this plague, Jews who obeyed biblical instructions on quarantine and hygiene, experienced far lower infection rates. Only in the 1800s did advances in bacterial study give researchers understanding of the importance of quarantine 
sanitation, and hygiene. This was 3,200 years ago, and millions of lives after these principles were outlined in Moses' writings. Then it says, Moses wrote it, Numbers 19, verses 3 through 22, around 1400 B.C. Man discovered it, 1800s. So you have about 3,200 years in between those two. How much suffering could have been avoided if we would have simply, as a society, looked to the wisdom of the Bible? And of course, this is seen as strange by a lot of people today. It is seen as weird if you don't put your total trust for your health and well-being into the hands of scientists and doctors. But the Bible certainly does scoop the scientists. By the way, this principle of quarantine here only applies to those who are actually sick, those who actually display symptoms. Those are the people who are supposed to be isolated. Human beings have gone thousands of years completely ignoring the idea of quarantine. And then in 2020, when we finally decide to start quarantining, we quarantine millions of healthy people too. We're we're just bouncing around from the extremes without relying on God's guidance to help us out. Here's another example from this article from Watch Jerusalem. The Bible scoops the scientists. Life is in the blood. It says, for thousands of years, people practiced bleeding as a means of treating diseases. This medical practice caused countless deaths because it failed to understand that life is in blood. When the blood is removed, the life ends. Around 1628, William Harvey accurately described the function of the heart and the circulation of blood around the body. It wasn't until 1840 that the oxygen-carrying protein hemoglobin was discovered in the blood. The Bible specified that the life is in the blood more than 3,000 years beforehand. Moses wrote it, Leviticus 17, verse 11, around 1400 B.C. Man discovered it, 1628. Now here's one that's especially relevant to me and special to me right now as my son was just born this past Sabbath. Circumcision on the eighth day. Circumcision has been practiced for at least four millennia. It talks about all these different cultures who regularly practice this. And then it says the guidelines in the Bible are unique in that they prescribe circumcision on the eighth day after birth. It was only discovered in the last century that the blood clotting agents vitamin K and prothrombin peaked to their highest levels on the eighth day. 110% of normal. This is the only day in a normal male's life when levels surpass 100%. This makes the eighth day by far the best one for circumcision, especially in a more primitive medical setting, reducing the risk of severe bleeding and infection. Moses wrote it, Genesis 17, verses 10 through 12. In 1400 BC, man discovered it in the 1900s. And by the way, 
it is highly recommended at pretty much every hospital, I believe, that newborn babies receive a vitamin K shot. Even though the only time that bleeding is going to be intentionally induced would be during circumcision for a, a male. But if that is done on the eighth day, well, that's when the blood clotting vitamins are at an all-time high in that little boy's body. And so that is literally the best day possible for a circumcision, which would then pretty much negate the need for any sort of a, a vitamin K supplement or injection. However, you can cite verified scientific facts like this, and it is still possible for certain people in the medical field to brazenly deny the existence of this fact right to your face and expect you to go along with that. But it is a fact. Science, science only discovered it in the 1900s. But there's a reason why God specified that circumcision has to take place on the eighth day. Here is one more example from this article from Watch Jerusalem, the Bible scoops, the scientists. This is washing with running water. Now this is really somewhat disturbing to think about. In 1846, Ignaz Simmelweis realized that unwashed hands spread diseases. By the way, well over half of Americans don't wash their hands after using the restroom. Maybe that could have been addressed rather than all of these unprecedented measures to counteract the coronavirus. Maybe that could have been a basic thing to, <laughs> to start with. Before Semmelweis, doctors would routinely handle dead bodies and then, without washing, treat expecting mothers. This sent women's death rates soaring. Semmelweis convinced many doctors to wash their hands between procedures, but most only washed in a bowl of water. It wasn't until late 1800s that Joseph Lister realized they needed to wash with the running water. Moses had made this clear some 3,200 years earlier. Moses wrote it, Leviticus 15, verse 13, around 1400 B.C. Man discovered it late 1800s. So that's pretty gross. First of all, not washing hands at all after handling dead bodies. And then when they did start washing their hands, just dipping their hands in the same bowl of water. And plenty of doctors would have filth on their hands, dip it in that same bowl of water. It's important to wash your hands with running water. And this is pretty common knowledge today, but how many people died needlessly because the biblical instruction from thousands of years ago was not followed? And I believe there was a Sun Also Rises episode, radio episode, about this same subject, which I can leave for you in the show notes. And that's another sh great program here on KPCG. So God does reveal his truth, truth that we could never understand, very, at least not very easily, on our own. In all of these examples I just gave you, human beings apart from God didn't know the truth about these subjects until thousands of years later, until plenty of pain and suffering 
finally change their minds on how to deal with these problems. This is why God's work does place such high importance on teaching about health. If there's no reliable information out there, if scientists can literally change their mind every week, we have to know where to turn. We have to know where to place our trust. We have to have something better to rely on than these faulty industries. God also revealed quite a lot to the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong about health. And you can find quite a bit about this in his autobiography available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. Chapter 23 is titled Prelude to Ministry. And I just think it's astounding how much Mr. Armstrong did go through in his life before he was ever ordained a minister of God. He was an advertising prodigy, a successful businessman. He had booming self-confidence. Somehow he dated and courted for marriage pretty much exactly correct before he ever received God's instruction about that. His dates consisted of stimulating conversation and not the character-destroying elements that are so common today. He experienced a precariously slow move across the country from Iowa to Oregon with his entire family. The car kept breaking down. They kept having to stop overnight on the side of the road and set up a tent. That's found earlier in the autobiography, too. His wife had quite a few health trials that endangered their unborn children. Mr. Armstrong experienced numerous healing miracles, business collapses, He learned firsthand the power of prayer. He was forced into a night and day study of the Bible to prove every one of his beliefs one at a time. He went through decades of abject poverty. And he was desperate for work so he could provide for his family. And during one of these times where Mr. Armstrong was desperate for work, he was approached by a neighbor who offered him a job. This was certainly an open door because he was desperate. Like I said, he needed a way to make a little bit of money for his family. So this job he was offered was with the Wherever Aluminum Company, Wherever, two words, and he was supposed to sell the heavy new method utensils direct to customers. So utensils like you would eat with or cook with. And there was a pretty unique way of selling these utensils. They would actually, these salesmen would set up these big dinner parties. They would give a prize to a woman, a utensil set. If she would invite couples over for a meal, the salesmen would make the most delicious, healthy meal they possibly could. And then they would give a presentation about health at these meetings. So I read this and obviously was trying to figure out the connection between utensils and diet, but I guess it's somewhat of a link. It's not necessarily a direct link, uh, but it does certainly establish the credibility and the concern of these salesmen when they start teaching those couples in attendance all of these helpful health tips. 
one of the salesmen at the first dinner Mr. Armstrong attended so that he could train to do this himself, gave a lecture on health and the causes of sickness and disease. And Mr. Armstrong observed that this salesman actually seemed to know more about the causes of sickness and disease than any doctors he had even heard about. And once this salesman would give this moving pitch about health, he would ask any of the couples there if they would like a personal visit where he could give them personalized instruction to help with their specific health needs. And so after such a compelling presentation over dinner, all of these couples were pretty quick to accept a personal meeting from one of these utensil salesmen. And I I presume this got them in the door and allowed them to make quite a few utensil sales on top of the valuable health instruction they provided. Mr. Armstrong says, I was intrigued. I saw that this job offered me the opportunity to make an intensive study of the causes of sickness and disease and of nutrition and the part diet plays in health or illness. I had already been doing enough preaching to have had some little experience in giving these lectures. Also, the lectures would provide experience for more effective preaching. So this new job for Mr. Armstrong actually benefited him in quite a few ways. He could understand better the health trials his wife was going through and help her better with that. He could become a more effective communicator of God's truth by being a public speaker as part of his job, too. And he said, one thing that appealed to me was the fact that a salesman in this rather unique work could be doing a great deal of good. I learned during the following years that many of these salesmen were conscientious and used their work only for the good of the customer. Obviously, that is not what we think of when we conjure up in our minds the image of a typical, a stereotypical salesman. But it is possible, like Mr. Armstrong did several times throughout his life, to actually be a salesman who does sell honestly and who does genuinely care about his customers. Mr. Armstrong was that way. He witnessed some other salesmen who were the same way. And this is really a special field to get into. A way that you can actually help people improve their health sell them a valuable product, but more importantly, teach them about health. Mr. Armstrong would compile as much information as he could about health. It's just interesting that God would train him so specifically early in his life before Mr. Armstrong was ever a minister in the truth about health. And obviously it was important for Mr. Armstrong to then share that knowledge, not just in these lecture meetings with these at these dinner parties, but also as part of God's work. Mr. Armstrong learned the shocking truth about cooking over the boiling point of various foods and how cooking with excessive temperatures could rob foods of between a quarter to three quarters of vital health elements. He learned what constitutes the human body, primarily 16 elements of matter, and 12 of which are alkaline-reacting mineral elements. He learned that, really, 
the vast majority of sicknesses and disease between 85 and 95 percent actually come from faulty diet. So if we can just fix what we put into our mouths, so many of our health problems will disappear. Again, Mr. Armstrong is learning all this because God gave him this job opportunity relatively early on in his life, before he was ever a minister. Mr. Armstrong learned a lot about fasting as a means of eliminating toxins and poisons from the body. And he talked about how scientists, doctors, will generally not recommend fasting, even though animals naturally do it when they are unwell. It is something that does help remove poison from the body. So why would doctors preach the opposite? Mr. Armstrong said, Sickness is not natural. Sickness comes only from broken physical laws within our bodies. Most of the time it comes from excess of carbohydrates, part of the time from malnutrition, a lack of essential elements. Under fasting, the body naturally eliminates stored up toxins and poisons. Many of whom I called, many on whom I called, he's talking about during his lecture series, were by fasting followed by right diet, relieved of rheumatism, constipation, colds, and many other chronic ailments or diseases. Fasting can sort of be a way to starve out a disease within you. So Mr. Armstrong learned all this, and he spent a lifetime talking about this, expounding on the laws of radiant health, explaining how health really does revolutionize every other part of your life. And that really does bring us to why God's work does discuss health so much. Yes, it is important to enjoy abundant health. That does make your life better in general. But there is a spiritual reason for it too. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 say, What what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? So this is saying here, just verse 19, that our bodies don't belong to us. They are meant to house God's Holy Spirit which can combine with the human spirit in our brains and make possible a direct link to our creator. But to have the Holy Spirit, we have to have a clean physical temple. At least that really does help increase the flow of that Holy Spirit. It does make for a better temple of the Holy Spirit if we are healthy. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, God owns us, and he did specifically pay a price for our lives. Christ was brutally beaten and scourged before his crucifixion to pay for broken physical health laws. That's why we have to take this subject so seriously. And to know as well, when we are vibrantly healthy, 
that does allow the Holy Spirit to flow through converted members of the Philadelphia Church of God. Being physically healthy is a great precursor to eventually obtaining the Holy Spirit. Imagine just having so much more energy and strength, endurance for doing God's work and serving him because of simply obeying God's health laws, simply being all natural, simply having godly levels of health. That does really help us approach life with vigor and passion and do the work as best as we possibly could to reach our full potential in doing the work. We all know how destructive bad health can be in holding us back from doing the work. So today we've been talking about proper health, why God's work emphasizes health so much, how the Bible is really the primary source we should look to for proper health laws, and how God does miraculously reveal the truth about health to us. And if we just obey If we just do what the Bible says, if we do what God reveals, our health will really blossom and we'll do the work that much better. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time 